thank y'all for being here. Um, I know with how crazy the weather's been, um, you know, y'all could have stayed at home and tried to kind of wait it out, but you're here. I think that's awesome. Um, I've gotten new glasses this time. Um, like four or five weeks ago, I may or may not have ran over my glasses with my car. So um, it's okay, not on purpose. So I had to wait on new ones. And so the last couple of weeks, if I've been giving you this really mean look, I promise I'm not angry. I was just trying to see who you were. So I'm glad to actually be able to look out and see some of you. Um, the past couple of weeks, we've been in our series called Glory, um, where we were talking about God's glory and we were um, going through what glory is and then going through parts of scripture where um, God reveals his glory to us through creation. And tonight we're going to be starting a new series called Galatians, um, Defending God's Gospel. And what we're going to do is instead of doing this as a topical series like we usually do, um, like Glory was, for example, we're just going to go straight through the book of Galatians, through Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia. And so just real quick, give you a background of the 12 letters that we know Paul wrote that we have in Scripture, chronologically, this is probably the first. This was the first one he wrote. And he wrote this somewhere in the A.D. 48 to 51 range. Okay, And that was about two or three years after he actually visited Galatia in person and established or helped establish the church there. And so he's writing this letter to them. And the main point of this letter as we'll see throughout, the main theme is he's defending the true gospel that the Galatians have kind of gone away from. And we'll see that as we go through. And remember that because this is not normally how we do a series, this is not a topical series, but we're going straight through, it may not flow like it normally does. We may have some some sermons where we kind of leave you feeling like, you know, you're hanging on a thread. We may leave you with questions that we don't answer, okay? But keep in mind that this was one letter. When Paul wrote this, there were no chapter numbers, no verse numbers, subheadings, anything like that, okay? It was one letter. And so the letter itself flows. So any questions we may leave you with, okay, or the word may leave you with when we finish one Wednesday night, hopefully we're going to answer in the next couple, okay? So... If you kind of feel discouraged, like you didn't get it, that's okay. Come back next Wednesday and, you know, be here and we'll answer some questions, all right? But we're just going to go through this. Sometimes maybe not even a whole chapter, maybe just part of a chapter at a time, all right? But what I want us to see is I want us to see the difference between this false gospel that the Galatians were kind of heading towards, and we're going to call that man's gospel, and we're going to see why, and this true gospel that Paul is here to defend. And many people believe that Paul is defending himself because he had people after his conversion that were saying, you know, he's not genuine. This is some kind of trick. This is not even really him. This is someone being an imposter acting like him. But he's not defending himself, and we'll see that. He's defending the gospel. He's setting himself aside to say, I'm not worried about me right now. I'm standing up for this. Okay? So that's what we're going to do right now. And we're going to look at a couple of points of how we can know or how Paul relates to us that this gospel that's been brought to the Galatians is a false gospel. The first thing that we're going to see is that this false gospel makes Paul very, very, very angry. And it should make us angry too because this is a, as we go through, we'll see this is something we deal with a lot. It's the same type of false message we hear all the time. All right, so I'm just going to start right here in verse 1, chapter 1. 
Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, that greeting is a normal Paul greeting. You see, um, I believe it's the beginning of verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Almost all of Paul's letters have something like that at the beginning, okay? But this letter is unique because 11 of the 12 letters, as soon as they have this normal greeting, they give, he gives some type of encouragement to them right after. He tells them that he's encouraged by the faith that he's heard them that, he, that he's heard of them having through persecution, through their compassion that he's heard that they've had towards each other, towards uh, widows and orphans and, and things like that. But what we're going to see here is that there's no encouragement. This is the only letter he writes where there's no encouragement. And we're going to look at what he says. So he gives those, we have them as the first five verses, which is the greeting. And immediately this is what he goes into. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. I don't use the word astonished a lot, okay? I overuse certain phrases like, you know, I'll say something was unbelievable or it blew my mind, it was crazy, okay? And so we overuse them and so we become kind of desensitized to them. But I actually, when I was going through this and he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him, I don't know why, but when, he, when I read that, I kind of perked up a little bit. I was kind of like paying a little bit more attention because that's just a word I don't use all the time. And I think that's kind of intentional. I think Paul, whatever Greek word that may have been, I'll be honest, I don't know. But Paul used a word that was kind of emphatic. It was, it was kind of emotional because he wanted them to understand that he was angry. And so... He tells them, I'm astonished you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And the second thing we see is that this gospel, this false gospel, is disguised well. Okay? And, you know, we could sit here and think, well, why don't they just pay attention to the true gospel? Why don't they just, you know, why don't they just read the scripture? Why don't they just listen to their pastors and pay attention? But that's just the thing. What they were hearing was probably not far off from the truth in word. The word he uses when he says here, and I'll, I'll read this um, in verse 7, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Distort in the English, the word he used in the Greek was metastrepse, which means to turn about or to twist or to pervert. Now, when you look up that word, that word pervert means to take something away from its intended purpose. So most likely what they were doing is they were, whoever these false pastors were, they were preaching the actual gospel. They were reading from the, the Old Testament scriptures they had. But what they were doing is they were turning it away from its intended original purpose. They were making it a gospel that was there to glorify man and not God. It wasn't totally different. It was just distorted. It was just twisted. And so because of that, and because it was there to be man's gospel, to build man up, to glorify man, it moved quickly. We see that in verse 6. I'm astonished that you were so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. Remember, like I said, he writes this letter in 
A.D. 48 to 51, and only two or three years earlier, he helped establish that church. So he establishes it, and almost immediately, they're going off in another direction. It's moving rapidly. But why he's so angry is because it has eternal consequences for both the preacher of it and the willing recipient. Look at verses 8 and 9, and he's pretty much re repeating himself here. He says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Okay, so he's not only saying, okay, if I or any other mere man preaches to you a false gospel, we're going to be damned. That's another word that could be kind of interchangeable with a curse, okay? And to be damned is to be eternally separated from God. It's to face eternal punishment. But he's saying that not only us, but even the angels who are heavenly beings, if they preach to you something that's false, they're a curse too. They're damned too. That's a lot of boldness. I'm not messing with angels. I don't know about y'all, but they can like fly and stuff. I mean, I don't know. They're all over the place. I'm not messing with them. But Paul's like, yeah, uh, they're cursed too if they do that. It's serious. It's eternal. All right? So now we're going to look at what he says about this true gospel, about God's gospel, and why it's not a gospel to glorify man. And we're going to see that Paul did not create or choose this gospel. He didn't choose to carry out this gospel. He didn't choose God. God chose him. And some people have a problem with that belief. But if you have a problem, you need to just read what it says. Verse 13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. We're going to stop right there. So the people that said Paul was trying to defend himself... That doesn't make a lot of sense because look at what he says. He, he admits openly right here, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. If he was having some kind of debate, that's one of those things he would have hoped somebody from the opposition wouldn't have brought up. That's one of those skeletons he would have tried to keep in his closet if he's in this for himself. But he's trying to make a point here. And I want you to just look at what he says. In verse 15, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by my grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. If this would have been his gospel that he came up with, that he chose to carry out, why would it say, but when he who had set me apart before I was born? Could any of y'all make choices before you were born? Could any of you do anything before you were born? Before you were created in the womb, did you have any choices about anything? But he says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. That's three different actions right there. 
So what he's saying is that even while I was murdering members of the church, I had still been set apart that whole time. I was still going to be exactly who I am right now that whole time. God just had not revealed himself to Paul, which was then Saul, yet. What Paul's saying is that if it would have been my choice, I would have rejected it. Because before God revealed himself to me and opened my eyes to to his own word and to his spirit, that's exactly what I did my whole life. I rejected him to the point I was literally killing his own people. He didn't have a choice. It can't be his gospel because he didn't have a choice. But then he turns around and he has the audacity to call himself an apostle. And he, he does that three different times just here in chapter 1. Immediately in verse 1 he says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man. And then in verse 17 he said, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. So he's saying, I'm an apostle and I didn't go see the apostles who were apostles before I was. And then in verse 19, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Okay, three times he calls himself an apostle. But if you know anything about apostleship in that time, in Acts chapter 1, 21 and 22, it kind of lays out the, the, um, kind of the characteristics of what an apostle is supposed to be. And the main one was that they, they had to see Jesus in the flesh between the time of John's baptism and his ascension into heaven after his death and resurrection. Paul never did. Paul was still persecuting the church at that time. And most likely, if he would have seen Jesus in the flesh, he would have tried to kill him too. So he has the audacity to call himself an apostle, even though he never saw Jesus in the flesh. When he was on the road to Damascus, the scripture says that he saw a light from heaven and heard the voice of God, but he never saw the face of Jesus. But this is the reason he has the audacity to call himself an apostle. Because as we talked about, he was divinely chosen to carry out that word. He didn't choose to carry it out himself. And so when you are divinely chosen by God himself to carry out his word, what other validation do you need? There were many people who saw Jesus in the flesh and never believed. What Paul's saying is that this is the true gospel, and I was given a divine intervention from God. He divinely appointed me to carry out his word, and so I'm just as, an, as much an apostle as Peter or James or John or anybody else. This is not his gospel. It's God's gospel. And then we're going to see that not only is it not his gospel, it's not man's gospel, but he didn't get it from man either. Verse 16, when he who would call me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, who we know as Simon Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. So he's saying that this couldn't be from man because as soon as he got the revelation, the divine revelation from God, what does it say he did? It says, I went away into Arabia. I did not consult with anyone. 
why would he do that? I mean, if, if I would have been converted in a, a like, physically, able to physically see this kind of divine revelation, I mean, the people around him, it says the people that were with him couldn't see the light that he saw that was blinding him, but they could hear the voice of God and they were greatly afraid. If I had been converted in that type of way, I would have been finding every apostle I could and would have been talking to them about what it was like to walk with Jesus every day, to see him in the flesh, to get to talk to him and see the miracles that he performed. But Paul doesn't do that. And he doesn't do that on purpose. It's strategic because he knows immediately he's going to be called to carry out this word to the Gentiles. And what he wants to make sure happens is that the word he carries to the Gentiles is strictly from God and nothing else. He wants to make sure there can be no bias or opinionated lens put on these miraculous events or on the Old Testament scriptures that he's going to be bringing to the Gentiles. It's only from God. And so he goes away, it says, for three years. And then he comes back to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, to visit Simon Peter. And he only sees him and James, the brother of Jesus, but even then, he only stays with Simon Peter for two weeks, for 15 days. And it says in verse 22, he goes to the churches of Judea, and they don't even know who he is. The churches of Judea is where all of the apostles were. Remember, he's calling himself an apostle just along with them. And it says in, in verse 22, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They knew who he was. They had heard about him. But if he would have walked in the building, they wouldn't have had a clue what he looked like. That's after three years. Because this is not from man. This is from only God. This is how seriously he takes this word. And the last point of this, how we know it's a true gospel, and we actually kind of brought this up in the first point, but it's getting its own point because it's that important. This experience produced glory for God, not man. Verse 23. They were only hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And what does it say next? Does it say that they glorified Paul? And they said, Paul, we're so thankful to have you on our team because, you know, you were kind of killing us before and we didn't like that. So we're glad you're with us now. Or they didn't say, you know, they didn't go up and praise their pastors for preaching such a great word that it converted even Paul. No, they glorified God. It, it, I mean, the way it describes it, it wasn't even like, thank you, God, you know, for Paul. It was just they glorified God that God had brought in this terrible, sinful man and completely changed his heart. And now he's carrying out the gospel to a people that had never had the gospel carried out to them before. They glorified God, not anyone else. And so that's, that's what we see from this, this first part of Galatians, this first chapter, as, as we call it, is the difference between this true gospel and this false gospel and how angry it makes Paul. And, and we'll see that specifically in, in chapter 3 when we get there, how he addresses the Galatians for buying into this false gospel but there's a reason it makes him angry. Like we said, it has eternal consequences, but it should make us angry too. Because think about this. The gospel they were preaching, they were distorting to make it about uplifting man and not God. Do we see that any today? 
You know any churches like that? You watch anybody on TV like that? I have. And for a long time, I didn't know the difference. And it's hard to know the difference because they're sitting there with their Bible open and they're reading exactly what it says. But then when they go on explaining it, they're talking about how it's God's way of giving you health and wealth and prosperity and everything you want. And that's not what this says. You know, I, I used to watch this TV show. It used to be on Netflix, and now it's not. I'm kind of mad. But it was one of my favorite TV shows, and it was called Frasier. Some of you may know about it, okay? It's actually a spinoff of the 80s show Cheers. All right, and it's about this guy named Fraser Crane, and he's this hoity-toity, rich, upper-class psychiatrist. He lives in Seattle, and you know he's all about the fine arts and the opera and, and all that stuff. Okay, and so he finds this painting in this art gallery he's at, and it's a lot of money. It's thousands of dollars, but it was painted supposedly by this well-known artist from Seattle, and it's her newest painting. And he doesn't even really know the artist, but he has to get the painting because if everybody sees him with the painting, he'll be like the coolest guy now in his, you know, country club society, right? And so he buys the painting, and he even has this kind of unveiling party that he has for it. And he writes a letter to the artist and um, asks her to come, and he doesn't think she does, but lo and behold, she actually shows up. And so he gets ready to unveil it, and he pulls the sheet off, and everybody's clapping and going nuts, and she's standing there, and she goes, that's not my painting. And everybody stops, and he's like, but it's got your name on it. She was like, so? It's not my painting. I didn't paint it. Long story short, it was a fake, and he tries to take it back, and they won't give him his money back and all this kind of stuff. The point of that is the reason that Frazier got deceived, okay, the reason the Galatians got deceived, the reason we got deceived is because we're in it for us and we don't really care about knowing the artist. When we're in it for us, when we want to come in here to feel good, when we want to come in here to get something out of it ourselves, to maybe, maybe have a little bit more energy, to maybe have a little bit more positivity, when we walk out of here, whenever we do that, we're going to be deceived every time because we've already got this idea in our head of what we want to hear. And so anything that comes close to that, we're automatically going to twist it. We're going to pervert it, metastrepsi, to make it mean what we think and want it to mean. And that's what the Galatians were doing. And that's what many people in today's society, today's culture, especially this this first world culture that we live in, that's what we do. We're really out for what can we get, what can we take in, and we're not in it for God's glory. Some of you have fallen into that. Some people in this room, some people watching have fallen into that. And you need to know it's not too late to come back. But what you have to understand is just like the Galatians, just what, like what Paul is trying to get them to understand, the first thing that you have to do is you have to come to grips with the fact that it's not about you. It's not about us. It's not about us being glorified. It's not about us defending ourselves against our critics. 
It's about this word and what it says about God and who he is, and it's about glorifying him with our lives. And if we're not coming in here focused on that, we will be deceived every time. And so my prayer for you today is that you won't be deceived. And if you have, that you'll, you'll pray that God will refocus your heart and your mind on him and not yourself. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that it reveals to us every time we open it. But Father, we so often fail to open it because we get so distracted on the things that we want on ourselves. So tonight, for everyone that's in this room, for everyone that's listening, remove us from the picture. Whatever that means, whatever... Whatever you have to do, take this idea that we have in our heads that it's about us and just strip it away from us. And that may be a difficult and painful process, but Father, it's the only thing that we need because the only thing we need is you, not ourselves. Thank you that just like Paul, you've given us your word that we can go and we can shine a light into a dark world. But again, if, if we're worried about us, we're going to get distracted and we're either going to stay at home and not do anything or if we do go out and we do preach this word, it's not going to be the word that we wrote. It's going to be the word that we want. So take that away, Father. Make everything about you and your 